What the bloody hell's all this? Do you know what the bloody time is? It's two o'clock in the bloody morning. I know. Well? The wife says that the Fletcher sent you. What's so bloody important he couldn't wait until the morning? <laughs> Listen, I'm not in the mood for playing silly buggers. I made a mistake. What? I made a mistake. What about? Never mind. It's not business. See you. Listen, I don't like it when some tough nut comes pushing his way in and out of my house in the middle of the night. Bloody well tell me who sent you. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. Now behave yourself. Good night, Mrs. Bramby. Again, and welcome back to another episode, another season of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. My name is Britt Reinhold Hobson. And my name is Joey Rogate. And uh, we are coming to you now again, a new season, season four, and we are picking up pretty much where we left off. And we are coming back to 1971, and the film is Get Carter. But before we just hop into uh, Newcastle and, and break down everything going on in the world of Jack Carter, we are going to give you some recommendations haven't done this in quite some time. Brittany, what do you have for us this week? Well, I went through quite a few different movies trying to find something that I thought would be appropriate to recommend with Get Carter. And then I just decided to go with something that blew my mind um, within the last few weeks. I mentioned it to you two before, but I'm going to say I really, really recommend the series Cyberpunk Edgerunners that's currently available on Netflix. So for anybody who hasn't seen it or isn't familiar with it, here's a brief synopsis. Um, after tragedy leaves him alone in the unforgiving dystopian metropolis known as Night City, where hyperviolence and body modifications are almost a necessity to survive. Teenager David Mendoza finds a place in the criminal underworld as a black market mercenary known as an edge runner. It seems like a very, very basic plot, one that we've all seen a million times, right? But that's the beauty of this, this entire series. It's a very run-of-the-mill story that they're able to create something so unique and fun with. And it, like I said, it blew my mind. The animation is wickedly stylish. If you've seen anything by Studio Trigger, Kill the Kill, or Promare, it's, it's beautiful. The lines and the coloring are just absolutely insane. Um, and the storyline is actually really poignant and it's surprising. And by the end, even though you kind of have already figured out how it's going to end it's still really hard hitting and it's exceptionally well done you don't have to be aware of cyberpunk or um, either the ttrpg or the video game i don't really know either and i still was fully engrossed in in the series it didn't matter that i didn't understand the lore 
that and still built the world for you. That's awesome. It's it's very good. So Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix, highly recommended. So something that our, our audience cannot cannot see right now is is us, but we can see each other, obviously. Uh, and and one thing that they can't see that you can see is that I'm I'm rocking what I call my old man sweater. I love it. Uh, that's what this is. So what I want to do now is like tighten it up and push up my glasses and go, uh, oh, what was that called again? Because I don't <laughs> think I got the title of it. Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Okay, I got it. Okay, I got it right. I got it right. Yeah. Um, cool. It, it's great. I highly recommend it. I was super hyped when I was watching it. My husband, who actually does know the lore of cyberpunk, was very hyped about it. And then afterward, I had to just like sit and Google everything I could and ask him questions like I've done a million times before with, you know, Resident Evil or something. So that's awesome. The cover cool. art of it looks fantastic. I've seen that pop up um, on Netflix a few times. It looks great. It's so good. Trigger warnings for it basically everything it's it's a very violent series and it's uh it's not for the faint of heart so perfect don't let your kids watch it good i won't be a problem (laughs) if it's not bluey or 13 the musical they're not watching it right now so well bluey is fantastic so it it really is I didn't know Bluey existed, and my mom and dad got my uh, nephew a rocking horse that's a blue rocking horse and named it Bluey, and I really judged them for the name until I realized it's a series. Oh, Bluey will Bluey will knock your socks off. It's quite amazing. Bluey's amazing. Is that and your the episode, the episode Sleepy Time. <laughs> it should be. It's, you know, I watch so much of it. I should. There's like 150 episodes. I think I've seen them all 30 times. But the episode <laughs> Sleepy Time, I think, is the best children's TV episode ever made. Is that I've the cried one with every the, time I've watched it. The the really? mom and she's sleeping next to her in yes. bed. Is that the yes. yeah okay. and floppy? Yeah, that's a great one. That's, yep, yep. Yeah. First that's time, good. first time I watched it, me and my son, we were walking up the stairs to do something, and he sat down because it like started. And I was like, all right, I'll sit with you. By the end, we were both just crying. It's a fantastic episode, Aww. and they're nine minutes, so you can say things yeah, like, they're... "Hey, one more episode than bedtime," and it's like a legitimate. You're not hoping for a commercial. It's nine minutes, in and out. It's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I can't wait to hear what Joey recommends because I'm, I'm hoping this is quite the plethora of recommends that we can we can give this week. So so we have Cyberpunk Edge, uh, Edge Runners on Netflix. Um, Joey, what do you got? So it's actually when I finished the first watch of Get Carter, it was the movie. I'm recommending the movie that I thought about right away and that I watched right away. Um, Michael Caine movie, The Prestige. Um, it's a movie I've seen many times before. I love it every single time it comes. Hugh Jackman's fantastic. Michael Caine's wonderful in it. Like, I just, I love everything about this movie. And um, I got, I finished this movie and I went and watched The Prestige. Like, it just felt like, I don't know, I needed to see more, the evolution of Michael Caine. And I was really happy. And I was, when I was thinking about the recommends, I was thinking of all these other ones. And I was like, why not just watch the thing that made me, that I wanted to watch the second this was over? Seems like the smart, you know, try not to outthink myself. I also watched a lot of Michael Caine over the last week. Um, not the Prestige. I definitely tried to watch some that I hadn't seen or maybe had only seen once. Um, Prestige is a, a wonderful film. And uh, my good my good friend uh, who's no longer here, Ian Woodington, when we did the Christopher Nolan ranking, I believe put the Prestige at number one. I love it's that. It's a great film. Christopher Nolan films. So um, good. I love I, I what I love about that movie is, you know, uh, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, 
that they basically call out right in the middle of the movie that it's a double. Michael Caine is telling you that it's a bloody double. It's unbelievable. And, uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. They, they tell you um, what it is and you no point catch it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Mwah. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, good so, recommend. I hope you did the Muppets with Michael Caine for your recommend. No, okay, so I, it is not my recommend, but that, trust me, that's going to come up later, so so don't worry. I love it. Um, it is my favorite Christmas movie, so it It's a good one. It's, it's a, a good one. one. Um, I did not go the Michael Caine route for my, for my recommend. I, however, went with the Mike Hodges route, and also on Netflix, I am recommending Croupier, which is from 1998, uh, and it's one of the first things that really introduced um, Clive Owen to American audiences. Have, have either of you seen Croupier? I have not. Okay, so um, it's kind of this neo-noir-esque film. Basically, uh, Clive Owen plays this guy named Jack Manfred, who is a uh, an aspiring writer, but he hasn't had any success yet. And um, kind of in a moment of like, I need to make money, I don't have a job, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, he goes to work as a croupier, or a, a fancy word for a dealer over there in the UK. At this uh, very small casino, and um, he enters this world, and he he clearly has some familiarity with being a gambler and working in casinos. We never totally hear it, and basically he he starts using these the, his experiences to kind of help write his novel, which includes sort of having a like a like an affair with a woman who works there, and this mysterious South African woman who comes, and we get to know about her. It it's very much in the same world of of get Carter. And what I mean by that is it's very slow paced. The information is doled out just a little bit over time. And even when you get to the end of the movie, like get Carter, um, you don't even have all of the information at the end. Um, but it's a really good performance uh, by Clive Owen. And um, it, it, at least as of this recording, it's on Netflix and I had always seen it. And um, Clive Owen's really good in it. It's, it's a fun noirish movie. And it kind of, brought Mike Hodges back into some um, talk of, of the, the filmmaking community because, uh, as we'll probably talk about in a little bit, Mike Hodges kind of had some rough decades there he for sure a while. He sure did. Yeah, he did. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so Croupier is, uh, is my recommend this week. Awesome. Very cool. I'll, I'll check definitely check that one out. Um, nobody wanted to do the Sylvester Stallone get Carter? Oh, I watched it. You know, I, I, gonna, uh, I did not watch that, it. Though? I did not watch it. Don't. I, I watched some Don't. of it can today. Can I it's... not recommend it? You yeah. can. You cannot recommend it's it. It's like the anti-recommend. It was tough. I, I... Okay. <laughs> the one good thing about it was that they actually filmed in Seattle, so that was very fun for me. Oh, shit. Did um, they? They did. It was really fun when you watched them go from the International District to Queen Anne to the Viaduct to West Seattle and then back to the International District, but but even farther up, like by 17th. Uh, so that was very fun um, watching that schlock get put together. But, oh, that movie was it was bad. It, it wasn't fun. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't even a fun, bad movie. No, it was just it was, a shitty, bad movie. Yeah, it, was just, it felt like... <laughs> Many movies don't feel like a waste of a time, but that felt just like a waste of us. Just couldn't commit it to was. that anymore. We watched it, and then we watched Broken Arrow right after because we're like, if we're gonna watch a good bad film, Broken we might Arrow as well watch is awesome. Broken Arrow, that's fantastic. Perfect, I love it. So, so yeah, so we have uh, Brittany recommending Cyberpunk Edge Runners, Joey recommending The Prestige, and myself recommending Croupier. Um, 
so now we can we can uh, immerse ourselves into the world of Get Carter. Uh, this was written and directed by Mike Hodges. It was based on ten, Ted Lewis's novel Jack Returns Home. So here's already where we get the first tangent. Brittany, apparently you read or listened to this. Is that true? I, I read it. I tried to find the audiobook, but I couldn't find one. So I did actually read the book. Um, it actually kept me up until about 12 o'clock one night. And I go to bed at 830, so that's a pretty big deal oh, because wow. <laughs> I wanted to finish it. Uh, I really really enjoyed the book um i like books that are in first person anyways uh and it, the whole book is in first person it's kind of stream of consciousness and it doesn't try to cater to the audience at all so i had to like ask my husband who is from england um what certain words meant because they just used the normal northern like northern words for things which was awesome and i loved it and it really like it it felt so realistic to me. Um, there are so many differences in the book, especially that last third of the movie. It's basically a completely different story. And I, 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 I can talk about those differences as they come up or I can say them now because I wrote a lot of them down. Yeah, I think, it, I think as they come up in, in the discussion, I think that'll be, Great. Uh, that'll be good. So I'm very but, intrigued um, what the they switched. Well, one thing that I will say is there was uh, a, quite a few flashbacks, but they were more of like a, narrat a narrative flashback where he'd drive past someplace in, uh, you know, the north where they were. And because uh, it wasn't Newcastle that they they switched where it was. Yes. Um, for Which makes sense. Like, I, I that doesn't bother me. And he would go on about how he and Frank used to come here and they used to bring the shotgun here and they would, you know, take turns holding it and riding their bikes. And that was one thing I... I loved about the book it you really got a sense of who Carter was and it was still just as brutal as as Carter is in the movie but you know it was great I highly recommend it I think oh, nice. you should totally read Ted Lewis's book uh Jack's Return Home or Perfect. Jack Returns Home I get it screwed up every Jack time Jack Returns Home yes. that's it that's it that's yes. it so please go read that book because it was great that's awesome, awesome. definitely seek that out um cool okay so our cast Obviously, we have Michael Caine starring as Jack Carter. Funny thing, I'm going to quiz you both. Do you know what Michael Caine's real name is? Oh, I read it and I didn't write it down. Because this is a name. His name is Maurice Joseph Micklewhite. Micklewhite? It's not a great That's name. <laughs> uh, so, so you can see why maybe Michael Caine goes by Michael Caine. Michael Caine fits it him. Maurice Joseph Wizzlefoss. It's <laughs> <laughs> not it. I would not believe Mr. Wizzlehoff running around naked with a shotgun getting men out of an apartment. Like, that's not happening. Michael Caine all day. Yes, I agree. I agree. The name The name goes a long way. Um, I'm gonna, I am going to quickly kind of rattle through some of the rest of the cast here, and then we can, we, we can give our kudos, or not, uh, as we go through. Um, so we have Ian Hendry, who plays Eric Pace, John Osborne as Cyril Kinnear, Britt Eklund as Anna, Brian Mosley as Cliff Brumby, George Sewell as Khan, Tony Beckley as Peter the Dutchman, Glenn Edwards as Albert Swift, um, Alan Armstrong as Keith, uh, Bernard Hepton as Thorpe, Petra Markham as Doreen. That would be 
this this is going to come up very early, but uh, his niece? Niece daughter? Um, <laughs> Geraldine Moffat as Glenda and Dorothy White as Margaret. Did I leave anybody out egregiously where you're like, damn it, Adam, you should have called that person out? I think you added a few no. too many. Too many? That's fine. Agreed. That's cool. Um, definitely, it's funny. I had plans not to read um, Jack Returns Home. I did plan to reread um, A Look Back in Anger, which is the John Osborne play uh, that I did read in grad school and and had plenty of thoughts of when I was like this, like, I'm in grad school and I know a lot about stuff. And uh, I didn't get a chance to reread it. But uh, John Osborne, uh, the kitchen sink drama, the angry young man, like he he really is a legend in uh, British theater at this at this time. I was wondering if we were going to talk about the angry young man. Ah, of course. <laughs> Come on. Why not? Um, I mean, whenever we can get theater in here, it's it's just right. it's going to happen. Um, so uh, and then it's so this is um. The, the year of this movie is 1971. Mike Hodges does not currently have or has he had any other film in the book other than um, Get Carter. In terms of accolades of the time, it really only had one for uh, Ian Hendry, who was Pace, who was our sort of glasses chauffeur guy in the movie. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the BAFTAs. He would lose to Edward Fox for a movie called The Go-Between. I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what that movie is. I've never seen no. it. I read so about I it. Know. I don't remember what I read about it when there like looking into this. So, Not memorable. So it's pop, probably a stone cold classic though over there in the UK. I'm oh sure. yeah, I should ask. I should ask Neil. He'd probably know right away. No, he wouldn't. Absolutely not. He didn't even know this movie existed. So, um, but then, and you know, part of what we can talk about uh, now or, or later as it comes up is that this movie really did pick up sort of a cult status, and people like uh, Tarantino and Guy Ritchie sort of sung its praises later on in life. And oh, so, yeah. I, I have a bunch of like after the fact ones. Like in 1999, Get Carter was ranked number 16 on the BFI's top 100 British films of the 20th century. Um, Total Film chose it as the greatest British film of all time um, in uh, 2004 and 2008. It was 225 on Empire's 500 best movies of all time. Um, there's a bunch of things like that where the, the cult status of this movie, especially uh, in London magazines, Total Film, um, BFI, uh, there's another one, oh, The Guardian. Like, so these are all, let's be real, these are all UK papers and publishing companies. So there might be a little hometown bias there. Uh, but after the fact, there was a lot of praise with it. Um, it is not currently on the IMDb Top 250. It has an 87% uh, critical and 84 uh, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, at the at the time of its release, Roger Ebert gave it a three-star review. Yeah, really seemed I saw that. to like it. Um, he, his closing paragraph, the movie has a sure touch. Very early during the title, we see Kane taking the train to Newcastle and reading a paperback of Raymond Chandler's Farewell, My Lovely. This seems audacious at the time, as if Mike Hodges were deliberately inviting compa uh, comparison with the American masters. But Hodges has the stuff, and Get Carter works as well as any British crime melodrama in a long time. Wow. Which is interesting because the original sight and sound review of this by Tom Milne said that the movie was well-constructed but lacked the mystery and charisma of earlier American crime films it attempted to emulate. So it was, even though it's got a pretty high critical score at the time, you know, gotta, you, know you, you, you win some, you lose some. It feels like it just grew with Michael Caine's legacy a bit. Fair. I mean, that's definitely uh, a possibility. Because, I mean, I think Michael Caine's fantastic. And I think um, Osborne is Cyril Kinnear, just underutilized. Um, but then I think there's others who just 
just aren't as talented and it's oh thank you and it, and oh it feels gosh, there's like a gap yes. there that i think hurts it a lot of times so so what i'm what i'm hearing before before we do the deep dive right into it is that we 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 might not like some of those smaller performances but i gotta ask you a question about something that you might uh do you love lists love lists if I don't have to put it together, absolutely. Well, this is one I did not put together, but found. Um, and because because it makes sense, um, there is a website I found called The Silent Cinema Co. And they had the top 10 best British gangster movies. So that is the list that I found. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. Uh, it actually was 15, but like 11 through 15 were, I think, almost like filler. Like uh, some yeah. of them, there's no fucking way that would make the list. So I, I, I chopped that part of the list. Um, of course. So number 10 and uh, a, a, a rewatch of this week, Layer Cake. Any Layer Cake fans? Mm. Layer Cake's awesome. Layer Cake. Okay, good. Great. I love it. Uh, number nine, a movie I have not seen, uh, Essex Boys. Uh, number eight, and I will not lie, my favorite of the Guy Ritchie movies, Snatch, coming in oh, there at number eight. Snatch is so good. That's only uh, eight. It's only eight. Number seven, and a movie that Ian would say is not high enough, um, the Ben Kingsley-led Sexy Beast. Oh, I haven't watched yeah, that I've yet, but I one. have been interested. Oh, it's especially it is since a, watching this. It's a weird, intense movie. Uh, That's up my alley. It's yeah. Uh, ben Kingsley plays like a a crazy fuck in this movie. Like he is he is off the deep end in this one. Um, <laughs> he was nominated for it though. It is quite the performance. Um, we'll stay there. Um, Guy Ritchie makes his second appearance here at number six with Lock, Stock, and Two mm. Smoking Barrels. Um, number five, another movie I've not heard of is called Mick Vicker. Uh, no idea. Uh, number four, and definitely deserves a place on this list and definitely a movie that Ian recommended to me. The Long Good Friday. Have you seen The Long Good Friday? No. No, I haven't. Bob Hoskins, Bob Hoskins and Helen Mirren lead this 1980s British crime film. A very young Pierce Brosnan is in it as well. I definitely recommend The Long Good Friday. You had me at Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> I had you, and then Helen Mirren sat you down, and now you're Oh my here. God, now absolutely. You're just, like, I love that Bob Hoskins pulled you in. That makes me so happy. <laughs> Ugh, Bob Hoskins forever. He's, oh God, he's so good. Um, number three, and the reason that we are talking about this at all, Get Carter. Number two, and a movie I also watched for the first time in the last few weeks, and a movie I mostly enjoyed, also starring Michael Caine, The Italian Job. Love The Italian Job. Yeah, I I'm a big fan it. of that movie. Oh. It's so fun. And and number one, and this is a movie that was, uh, in doing the research, is a movie that came up a lot. And I actually saw two other British gangster movie lists, and this was also at the top. A movie called Brighton Rock, which I have not seen, but I believe is from the 40s. But this one seems to be like the real classic British gangster movie. I saw that popped up everywhere in my research and I just unfortunately didn't get to it, but it, it's all over the place. I added it to my list to watch soon because um, it's pretty consistently spoken so highly about like I didn't see a bad thing about it and not even any of the oh good for its time and like what it led to like it's all it's this sure. is a good movie. It's seems, yeah. so I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um, okay, so 
So quickly, I, and I think it's fairly, I mean, you know, we always, I always like to do the really, really shitty film synopsis at the beginning, but that way we can just kind of launch into it. Um, so basically, you know, we open and we, we, we meet Jack Carter. We realize that he's, uh, he's hanging around with some hooligans and we find out that his, his brother has recently passed away. Um, but basically we hear that he was drunk and he was in a car accident, but that does not sit well with Jack Carter. He goes back to Newcastle to bury his brother and he is basically here to, uh, to knock some coconuts together and figure out what actually happened because he does not believe that his brother uh, would have driven drunk or whatever. He, he, he suspects foul play, and, um, and in his investigation, he discovers that some, some people that he, he kind of has a past with may have been behind it. And we also, and I, I will leave the kind of big reveal, we, we find out uh, the reason behind why his brother was essentially pushed to make the decision that he does and it and 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 it ends with bloody results so um uh so that's 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 get carter kind of in a a nutshell um so was this anybody's first watch for get carter yes it was your Brittany. it was your first watch it was my first watch for get carter um i was pretty excited about it going in to be perfectly honest Okay, so I'm going to come back to you in a moment. I'll leave it at that for right um, now. Joey, what about you? Yeah, first time, um, you know, it's something that I've you know I've seen be- seen about before, so I was excited to get into it. Um, read a lot about it. I thought it was pretty up my alley as I went in. I oh the, the skepticism I'm hearing is is palpable. I love it. Um, so this was not a first watch for me, but I will say, and I and I don't mean to bring this down, um, but I did watch this within like days of of the unfortunate news about my friend because I knew this was going to be the next right. one. And I wanted, yeah. I was like, I'm going to watch it. I I honestly, when I turned it on like last week to start the research, I, I nothing seemed familiar to me because I just I really wasn't even watching it. The you first just watched time, it so. to honor him. You didn't watch it to watch it. Exactly. Yeah. So there are this. It really felt like it, like a first watch because like there were things that happened. I was like, oh, definitely don't remember that at all. Um, so so Brittany, I want to I want to start with with you. Um, we had some expectations. Uh, if you had to like narrow it down, what would you say is like what 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 was maybe the, the, either the most underwhelming or the most disappointing thing about the movie when you when you like, as we kind of reflect back on it. So um, after watching this film with my husband, uh, who I had kind of talked it up to because he's from England. He's lived here for eight years, but he grew up in, you know, like a small English village. And I said, oh, this is like a cult gangster film from the UK. Stars Michael Caine. I think this is going to be really up our alley. And after watching it, I turned to him and I said, I just I don't think this movie was made for me. I don't. And he retorted and said, actually, this should be the perfect movie for you because I love hyper-violent vengeance films. I love nihilistic films. And I really love bleak slow burns that fill me with dread. Um, like when I, ha- when I got COVID a couple months ago, I watched Chernobyl because I thought, oh, that's going to be a really good six series to watch. Um, so for me, it didn't live up to the hype. Uh, that was in my head of what it should have been. And, uh, and Joey, what about you? Because I'm seeing you're both making the same mouth closed <laughs> smile as if, as if, if, as if you opened it like just like ah would come out. It's it's amazing. 
<laughs> so I had a hard time not interrupting Brittany there because so much of it I agreed with because on paper, oh, violence, but they don't show it. They really make you, you know, really make your mind do all the work. Awesome. I love that. Vengeance. Great. Who doesn't love a good vengeance movie? A slow burn. Awesome. On Best Picture Cast, the amount of times I talk about how I hate when directors are don't give the audience any credit and do all the work for you. This does none of that. I was super excited and none of it really landed because while the director didn't make the audience do any work, he also forgot that he had to do work at times. <laughs> oh, that's great. This is good. Yeah, I, I did not think, I mean, I, I can't say I gave this that much thought, but I did not think that I would be the the high one on Get Carter. I, it's it's looking that I might be, which is, which is interesting. I read a review um, that said that Get Carter aged like milk, and I thought, my God, I wish I had written that. That's amazing. I really do. But, you know, and these, I was, as I've been thinking about this movie, one, it benefited a great deal from a second watch. I think there was a lot. But, like, I was reading reviews, and I was like, okay, I agree with the good you're saying, but you're leaving out the rest. Like, yes, Michael Caine is awesome. Yes, the train scene. You know, I'm not going to go through the scenes, but there's there's good. But we have to talk about the whole movie together, and it's just the amount of times the word uneven is written in my notes is all over the place. Like, I, it was just inconsistent. I was just, I literally have in my notes, I find this movie to be wildly inconsistent. And I wonder if a lot of it, though, is because, listen, at no point will I say a bad thing about Michael Caine in this movie. I think he's great. <laughs> but, mm. yeah, and that, that's fine. But I just think some of the others in there, it felt like they kind of fit me in there who cannot act. And they were like, try your best. <laughs> and against so, so a real actor, I think it really exposed some. And I, I think it's, it's hard to buy in with that level of disparity. So me. let's 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 stick with the non-Kane actors for now. Who like like who really grinds your gears? Like who who popped up on screen for you and you instantly were like no, nah, I can't have it. Can't I'm Margaret. not having this. Margaret. Margaret. Margaret was bad. Th- Eric was awful. I, yeah. I, oh wow. This this is I am I am so fascinated by this this is amazing because i i find I, I here's the thing i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say this yeah i did not think that there was a bad performance in the movie that's your opinion and you're entitled to it and i'll never tell you that you're not entitled to your opinion even if i think it's wrong i mean adam this might this this has you can edit this out but this has you having tom jones at 25 vibes all over it it's a little it's a little high <laughs> Now, now, now. Here's I'm gonna. I will maybe backstab it. I don't think that everybody is great, but what I what I like about it is like like Margaret actually is. I'm so glad you led with Margaret. To be perfectly honest, because I I liked her as that character. I don't know why. I totally as somebody like aloof and just doesn't give a shit. Like I just I totally liked the vibe that she brought to the movie. I think in this Whereas- the second part she pulls off that. I think the first time we meet her at the funeral, she's then manic and doesn't make any sense and it's just completely inconsistent what we see later and what she is actually kind of a part of. It it just it didn't fit. I didn't feel. I I felt like and I honestly feel like 
a lot of it came from the script itself. And this goes back to I read the book. I love the book. The book is far superior to what this script is. And that, I think, did jade me going into it. I am sure. really glad that I read the book because I knew what was happening, whereas I, f- I kind of feel like this, the plot was so, ugh, how do I, how do I put this? Um, the, the plot was incomprehensible for the most part uh, in the movie that I don't understand how anybody follows that narrative without knowing what was going to happen. And I feel like with especially with the female characters, they just didn't even consider them as humans. Um, they were just set dressing. Uh, and, and Margaret was in there. She is the only one that is a technical femme fatale. But that doesn't go far. Like that doesn't mean that she has uh, even one-dimensional character in my opinion no and i and i i do think that the the time and i don't want not the place but the this the situation of like crime people and like of course part of their business just happens to be pornography and like yeah and and i think given like the i mean you could say in the 70s you could say it now like the lack of respect and integrity that people in that business get it's so easy to just pigeonhole them as one-dimensional as odd this is a porn actress which means she must be blank right and so we so that and i i I think margaret and to glenda and um uh brit what is brit eklund anna Anna. Um, yeah i think that they all kind of fit that same bill yeah um so we, we, I, you talk about you, you mentioned uh, the plot being incomprehensible. I would like to focus on one very specific moment. Um, so uh, and, and I'll maybe maybe I'll give it a little build up so we, we can we kind of know where we are. Um, I like it. So uh, uh, Jack Carter ha- is going to visit Keith um, because uh, he's been out. I think I think at this point Carter has had sex with the woman running the inn. Um, oh, of course. And so he goes to visit Keith. And Keith, Keith has gotten the shit beat out of him. Keith was just trying to be reliable and a help, but just trying to be a friend. And all we get, and we get this like line at the end, where basically he's like, "Yeah, oh, your brother, whatever." You're not even sure if he was the father. And then that's it. That is literally the only mention of the possibility of of Carter being the father and not the uncle to this girl. So into the literary corner we shall go because that is actually a major plot point within this book um i talked about the flashbacks that they had before so when jack carter comes to the house that that his brother is is his brother's body is currently in uh he talks about how they have this estrangement and how he hasn't seen his brother in a really long time he barely knows doreen who he talks about being really sexy and how he he'd want to have a go with her even though you know she's his his niece it's it's carter is not a good man and that's okay we we know this and it is established immediately in the book um but in it, one of the flashbacks is Frank holding a letter and asking if it's true. And that's kind of, um, it's kind of talked about a couple times. And then you realize that it's a letter from his wife who left him saying, hey, Doreen's not your daughter because I fucked your brother the day before we got married. And that's a major plot point throughout the book. The fact that this 
created the estrangement between him and Frank because he considered Frank to be such a better person than him because another thing in the movie that they never establish is that Frank was the complete opposite to him. The reason Carter goes back to to his hometown is because Frank would never be involved in what they Yeah, you have to make some to... real strong allusions to, yeah. kick, you, to get there. Because they like sort of do. tease it when everybody's like, oh, he's a great guy. And that's where they kind of leave it there. It, exactly. And so in the book, that's actually a major plot point and it made the entire story for me. That relationship between him and Frank, him longing for what they used to have and realizing he can never go back to it, that made everything for me and that made me appreciate Carter I was like you're a bad guy but also I can understand why you want to go kill this person because you are trying to make amends for something that you you can't say isn't true you can't say Doreen isn't your daughter and it was such a throwaway line I missed it the first time we were watching it well, and and what's so, so I know I, because I'm I, this is like now I get to go to Adam's physical media corner, right? And I I got the 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 4K of this, and it came with all the shit. And I was reading an essay that was written in there, and the the guy who one of the, there was like a, there was a whole bunch of of articles in there, but one person spoke of that of the Carter being Doreen's father with such a surety that he didn't even say that he was the uncle that like he was the father now. That is one of those things where if you have the knowledge of the book, oh, that's cool, great, that's that's awesome. But like, if you are just going off of the movie, and I am just going off of the movie, to read something like that and then to hear the line and then wait for the next piece of information and then that piece of information doesn't come, I was like, there is absolutely, like if anything, I go, there's no fucking way he's the dad. Just because some beat up, pissed off young guy is like, oh, you're not even sure. I was like, nah, I, don't, I don't believe this at all. I don't believe it. And in the book, they go into what happened, and it's really, it's really hard to read, and it's because it's all a drunken thing where he was drunk, her, her and her friends were drunk, and they basically had like a foursome. It, it's Dope. a lot. Dope. It's a lot, but um, way more interesting yeah. than Keith yelling at it, bloodied, waiting for his girlfriend <laughs> to show up. <laughs> right. Which he does do in the book in two, but he doesn't yell that. He's just like my and it's his fiance in the book, just to say. He's like, My fiance's coming to town. Look what you did to me. Um and Carter also doesn't give a shit because <laughs> he's Carter. But the whole thing was so confusing because, you know, they we have to take huge Olympic sized jumps to assume that Frank's a good guy. But then Keith the bartender at the sketchy bar also knows about the family history and that Frank's uncertainty. So you know, is Frank this very different guy or is Frank, you know, half pregnant with it in and the movie doesn't really do anything because they set it all up with one vague, silly line. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I just, I thought that was such a, like a, a piss poor attempt at, at furthering the plot. Now, wasted oh, opportunity. Yeah, it's a wasted opportunity at a really cool storyline because then, you know, the one time we do see emotion from Carter with the video later on, it doesn't pay off the way it should because of the yeah. gap. Because, like, if at any point, don't need a flashback. I don't think they were doing that because this was so straightforward, which is cool. But do something. Throw another line. Have somebody who actually knew them say something else where it solidifies so the emotion is there's a payoff to it. And it's not just, you know, the niece he sees once or twice when he's there. Well, and it's – I'm so glad you said – that there wasn't really a payoff, but uh, but I do want to point out like like that's that's really clear storytelling, right? I and I think the the happenstance of having 
that she has that video and that it's there and that Glenda hasn't like Glenda doesn't really care about Frank or what's happened. So of course, why would she hide this? Because she doesn't, it's she doesn't give a shit. Her prerogative. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought that was really good storytelling. And then it led to one of my favorite shots, which is the, the hallway shot with her in the bath and him coming up the stairs. I Great didn't like the way that that was shot. Um, but I think in terms of like payoff with the story, I agree that like, sure, it's a shock to see that, but I think it would mean more if we really got that sense of I'm, I'm here to avenge my brother. Right. They, they let so it another... be more that that's my niece or that's just the old They Let me say it again. They relied on the fact that this is the one time Carter shows emotion. So it has to mean something. It, it felt, yeah. you know, it just very little things could have made that much more significant. In, in the book, he actually has a conversation with Albert, the man who's in the porn, pornographic film. Mm -hmm. They have a conversation where he goes and is trying to get information out of him. And then they do a flashback that shows where he and Frank and Albert met. So him seeing Albert in the film with Doreen hits even harder because Albert knows who Doreen is. Um, it's very, very poignant and it's difficult to listen to also glenda shows carter the film he she he doesn't just turn it on and go oh there's a film next to the bed let me just turn this on she actually shows it to him after they have a very strange sexual encounter where he's not into it but is like i guess this is what she wants to do so let's try it and then he's like okay okay we're done we're done let's let's get on with this and so there's glenda has m more to do with it because she actually says oh i know why you're here and shows him the film no, that's interesting. Wow. I would love um, to see that. And he that. doesn't try to drown her. <laughs> well, and, and so speaking of strange sexual encounters, there are there are quite a few in this movie. There um, are. Uh, I would, I let's see. Uh, I, I wanted to stick with, well, let's stick with Glenda for a second. Um, right. And, and that's mostly because I, I'm not going to lie. Again, I, I'm going to like to like the nerdy filmmaking side of it. I did like the editing of the shifting of the car and the kind of the cuts of them in oh, bed. Yeah. I, in terms of just how that. it was put together and made, I thought that was, and listening to, um, to uh, Mike Hodges on the commentary talk about it, he was like filming this, basically he was like filming these are so weird anyway. I wanted to do it in a way where it was less about the act and more about having fun with it. And I think the shifting and the car and the, I, I, I I'm not going to lie. I did like that. Um, it was effective. Maybe Maybe side note, I will let you know that my, my unsung hero of the movie is John Trumper, the editor, because I thought the editing of this movie was spot on. Spot on. I might have some opinions about that, but there are some there's some editing moments that are amazing in this film. And I agree that scene was actually pretty cool. I was I was enjoying myself during that scene, even though I was like, this is so awkward. I love it. Let's let's keep doing this. Yeah, let's, let's embrace that awkward. Yeah, there were some if we we're speaking of editing, um, there were some very hard cuts that I did not think followed in scenes. And I felt like scenes didn't have the chance to breathe, especially like after he talks to Doreen. She says, oh, I'm I'm working at Woolsworth. And he says, oh, that must be very interesting for you. Cut. Cut. And I was like, there was. That this scene had no room to breathe. So that was the only portion of the editing that I had an issue with. But sure. that scene edited so well. Also, I'm going to open a beer real quick. So it's going to 
There we go. Just needed to do that while I was talking. <laughs> now, are you having it in a thin glass? I am not having it in a thin glass. I'm actually, uh, I have a koozie for it. <laughs> Fancy. You should have went thin glass. I, I, yeah. I did read that um, after the movie came out, the requests for beers in thin glass went 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 up, up, up over there. In the and it annoyed the shit out of all the bartenders. <laughs> I did ask what that meant. I asked Neil and he said, I don't have a fucking clue. Uh, so I did some research on it. And what I could find is that it's it was him establishing that he was different than the normal person that came into the pub. And also it was more likely to be clean and not have nicks in it. I, I did read something about that, about requesting a glass that isn't necessarily coming from under the counter right. in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was so angry he's, when he's he from London. He's from the city. Come on. Oh, yeah. No, he, yeah, he he was getting. Oh, I loved the guy with the the guy with five fingers and a thumb. The extra. That was something. That's a thing and, in the movie. Yeah, that was a thing, though. I did read a review where they talked about finding the humor. Like they were like, there were many humorous parts, like the man who had six fingers. And I thought that's not funny. That's just a, an abnormality. It that just is happens to have. Let's let's not make fun of it. It's just it, it is a, a part of this person. And it's actually an amazing part of this person. Yeah, It just is. It's not. It, yeah. it was there. We all noticed it. It is. Can I yeah. can I tell you what what I thought was the the single funniest part of the movie? Yes, please. So it 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 is the it's the morning after uh, Jack has had sex with the woman running the little little B and B. Edna. Edna, thank you. And uh, it's in the morning, and it's a it's a wide shot of the two of them in bed, and there is a sign above the bed that says, "What would Jesus say?" <laughs> and it it is it is so funny that I. I the second time I watched it, I I just like paused it and looked at it because because if you look at it, like she's looked like that was really good and he's like yeah that was fine and then there's what, what would Jesus say just right above the bed it was amazing it was great unbelievable and they had some weird scenes but I liked it well with that well which leads to which leads to another very awkward sexual moment when uh, Michael Caine is talking to Anna on the phone and. Uh, and Edna is rocking the hell out of that chair. I mean, she she broke the rocker. That's... Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what to I do with a... that scene. I have opinions about the way that uh, women are are used in this movie, and that scene was high on my list. Not only because it, like, honestly, I was like, really, this is this is the phone sex we're watching, and she's just writhing around in bed. Is this? Is this really how this is going to go down? Uh, but also because she didn't even want to do that scene to begin with. She didn't want to take this role, but she had to for financial reasons. Yeah. And that's really nasty to me that I have friends who are performers who are like, I just don't want to be naked on stage anymore. But people keep requesting that they're naked on stage because they've done it before. And that is so that just Oof, that really rubs me the wrong way. And I wanted justice for Britt Eklund in that moment. And I know now she says, oh, I'm, I, I, you know, later on she came around to being a part of the movie. But that made it really hard for me to watch that scene because it just felt like she's doing this under duress almost because she needs the money. Well, that's, yeah, it's never a, a situation that you want to be in as an actor. Um, well, and especially because, like, I don't, and maybe, and honestly, it, this is possibly true for like any sex scene in any movie, but like it really doesn't do anything for the plot, which I know no. at this point is is paper thin anyway. 
But it doesn't. It could. I mean, they, they have plans to go away together. But that's. They might go to South Africa sometime, maybe, and maybe Doreen goes yeah. with them, sort of. And we're so we were supposed to know at this point that Anna and Carter had a relationship based off her looking uncomfortable in the first scene, I guess. And then this very just. This is when I say uneven because it was just a, like watching it. I was like, was this film like six months later? And they were like, oh, well, we need to understand why you and Edna hook up. So let's show this absurd scene. Like it just felt so wild and out of place. So in the book, not to, I know this is a movie podcast. We won't keep coming back to <laughs> Context the book. Context is beautiful. But in the book, it seems like Jack actually cares about Audrey. She's not Anna. She's Audrey. I don't know why they changed the name, but they did. And he at least has some, or even if he doesn't care for her, he at least has some type of obligation towards her. So he constantly is talking about um, the things that they could do together after he, uh, you know, gives uh, Margaret an overdose of heroin. He then goes to sleep and dreams about being on a beach with Anna. When he, spoilers, people i'm sorry but when he finds out that the fletchers know or fletcher knows about her and and him he calls immediately he calls his friend maurice to be like you need to get anna out of there or audrey out of there immediately she gets the shit beat out of her he finds out and he says great give her money get her out of there we need to get her out of there now so he actually is trying to do right by her whereas in the movie he finds out and it's kind of like Oh well. And they what, what I don't care. They say some line like, "Hey, you know what? You still gonna want her when he rearranges her face or some something like that." Yeah, and, the kind of. And he does in the book. I don't know why they couldn't have added that in the movie, but. Well, and it's 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 funny because the one thing that I you know I I heard Mike Hodges say it. I read it in the research. It basically from from Mike Hodges reading the book, to premiering the movie was like a total of 39 weeks. Yeah. Super which, fast. Which is in, incredibly fast for the whole thing to happen. And, you know, I part of me loves hearing that because, oh, that's so great. Like this this up-and-coming director who's mostly done documentaries and some TV film stuff, he he gets uh, he gets the, the, the creative juices going to want to do this, and he's got some backing. And Michael Caine is sort of this uncredited co-producer, and like, oh, it, it's going to be a real movie. And it's obvious, it's it is a real movie. But I, it's one of those things where I think maybe getting checked along the way might have might have helped, right? It seems like sometimes there is there's that that singular vision that nobody gets to uh, have a say in, and it could have used some some notes. Yeah, you, you need I a second think, set of eyes on some things. You do. I think there. I, I have a theory for why it went so quickly. Um, the Cray twins, if you are familiar with them from the 1960s, they had a very publicized uh, trial in 1969 before this movie came out. And I mean, the gangsters in the 1960s in England, um, especially the Crays, they were like celebrities. <laughs> Everybody knew who they were. And... I think um, I read somewhere that one of the producers on the film brought the book to Hodges and said, hey, let's capitalize on this. You should make a movie out of this. So we think that one of the reasons why it went 
so quickly was because they wanted to make sure it was still, you know, like the, these gangsters are in the zeitgeist. Uh, there was the the one armed bandit murder. Let's capitalize on all of that. And I think that unfortunately uh, led to some poor decisions with this film. Well, and and I'm glad you, not that you just that you mentioned the craze, which I know it was ob- like that was very topical when this came out. I'm just want to list. I want to list three other movies that came out in 1971. Now, one of them is Shaft, which would have been, which was like the last movie that I like really, really covered. But these other two, and like, granted, these people, the leads in these two movies, I'm going to say are cops. But uh, the French Connection and Dirty Harry; these are also two other 1971 movies. Both, uh, and if and we want to kind of relate them back to to Shaft and Get Carter, these are people. Um, who sort of, you know, play above the rules, no nonsense, and how they go about getting what they want, not necessarily legal or ethical. And I think that we're, you know, 68 kind of infamously is the year when, like, um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde comes out, and we really start this this turn to, like, we're going to have violence in movies. and The anti-hero. Um, yeah, and it's funny because, you know, they if you, if you especially Michael Caine, Michael Caine loves to talk about how you know british gangsters uh represented in films at this point were either like silly stupid or um uh or there was another word he used i can't remember but basically like he wanted to do something more realistic he wanted to talk like do a movie about people that he knew that like grew up where he did and like and do it and well i get this and like everybody wants to talk about like oh mike hodges is coming in and he's got this documentary background and then part of it feels like you're in a documentary with the way that it's being shot and that's all fine but like really it it's like him making him a more quote-unquote real person doesn't really negate the fact that it it is still like just somebody you know breaking all the rules to get what they want and i think in a, especially in a year like this there was a lot of them there was a lot of this going on you know what else came out in 1971 a clockwork orange. Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah, so you're doing these kind of antisocial, antihero in more dynamic and interesting ways. When you look at all against each other, it's it's tough. You know, Dirty Harry's jumping over cars. Shift to shift. Clockwork orange is, I mean, it's a whole different animal. It's just. <laughs> it's a bit of the old ultra violence. A little bit of ultra, but they drink milk. It's fucking disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> which curdled anyways we're not (laughs) so um i i would love to is i i hate to be as blunt as this do either of you have positive things to say about the movie yes (laughs) i'd love i'd love to hear some of those i have one positive thing to say just okay hold on joey do you have two maybe we can sandwich these let's go perfect let's Let's go Uh, my first one, Cyril Clanier and at his house in the poker game is one that scene makes almost makes the movie worth watching because I think the amount of things going on and how good Michael Caine and Osborne are is fantastic. And I I watch both times I watched the movie I went back and watched that scene twice. I think it's fantastic. Um, it kept me in. I think it's really cool. A lot of moving pieces. And, you know, even when just when he walks out, when the guy loses all his money, I just loved it so much. And I think, I think Cyril Kinnear could, should have been more active in the role than Bumby 
in the in the movie. I'm sorry, than Bumby, fucking Bumby. Oh, Brumby. 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 I, I, Who I, call I don't Brumby, like him so. enough to give him his. He he was he doesn't deserve his full name. He wasn't good enough. Where Kinnear is just this dynamic. I believe he's evil, and being that we really only get him here, and at the party later where he um you know he trades Eric, which listen. I would trade Eric too, and I'm a good guy, but, um, you know, I, I think he, his, I think him being a more active participant in this movie instead of someone people talk about, you keep the movie as straightforward and as, you know, as, as it is, and I think it adds a whole powerful dynamic that was very much lost, um, and I think that, I think watching that poker scene and not having more of the two of them on screen together is massive loss because of how good that is i i def i agree I, john osborne was was definitely underutilized um Brittany, before we get to the thing that you want to praise uh, i i you again power of zoom i i want to give you a chance to retort to the thing that joey said because it seemed like maybe you didn't like that scene so much is my face that like obvious no um. it's just you know i i spend <laughs> no. my day i spend my day reading students and going Sorry. like you're not fucking listening to me or, 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 fair, or you're fair. interested like i right. i have become like like what are you thinking okay, what the so fuck are you thinking <laughs> i actually and i know we're not doing unsung heroes yet but i'm just gonna say it oh Kinnear's yeah, I, my unsung hero Kinnear's the best part of this movie even maybe more so than Michael Caine, personally. Ooh. I like his performance. I think it's understated. It's fucking great. And I believe him as this, like, horrible man. I don't really like that scene because I think that it is disjointed. I wish it was as... It, I. I think because I read the book, I knew what was supposed to happen in the scene. And I don't think they captured it. It... There were some shots that I felt like a person said, hey, I I just want to try it one more time. Let's keep rolling. Specifically when Glenda is sitting on the like on this uh, couch next to, to Michael Caine, there's a like three second pause. And then she all of a sudden goes, yes, I met them. Yeah. And I was like, you you were not in character until now. Why did they cut right there? Because that was you getting into character. It wasn't, it, I can understand where you're coming from. I think that scene had the potential to be amazing. And I think Hodges kind of dropped the ball on it a little bit. Fair. Fair. I'm sorry. I have opinions about this movie. No, I, that's, that's what we want. Friends. No, listen, it's way more fun than all of us just telling how great it is, high-fiving, and then it's boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no apologies necessary but but it sounds like underneath the 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 pile of poop that there's something there's that, one thing whatever. newcastle ah yes the fact that they utilized if, true places to shoot they didn't build it on a soundstage they didn't try to try to recreate something they actually allowed newcastle to be a character within this movie that sold it for me and I, I was fully on board throughout all of that the only scene that i wish they had maybe redone the um redone the the voices and the uh the sound was when they were in the uh car park yeah and yeah. Uh, there was so much echoing happening i was like i don't know what you're saying <laughs> you're mad okay but but the rest of it every shot of newcastle was incredible i loved the 
I, I just loved that. That that in it felt like it, it, it was its own character within the movie. It had lungs. It was breathing into this film that didn't really stack up for me otherwise. Yeah, it felt it felt it felt real and lived in. I loved it. The shot of the coffin coming out and you basically you can see all the row houses and then the smokestacks in the back. Um, I really, really like that shot. I also love the like the shot of the conveyor belt with the coal at the end on the water again, like very again, cool. Letting Newcastle breathe. I think that's really great. Um, fun thing I found out, so that car park in Newcastle doesn't exist anymore. Uh, they they knocked it down and they were selling tins of it for five pounds a piece so if you wanted a piece of memorabilia knowing that they famously shot a lot of get carter in that car park you could have bought like a little a tin and had it and i I gotta be honest if if it if i was like walking down the street and they're like hey five pounds that we're selling this thing and i was like i'd be like that'd be a cool fucking thing to have on the thing right that'd be on my bookshelf right now right (laughs) i'd just get a beer (laughs) i i i I'm not surprised to hear that, Brittany. I'm not not surprised. Am I that transparent? Oh shit. <laughs> um, what do we think of the the score and the music choice in this movie? My unsung hero. Hey, Roy Budd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it started off that train scene. I think the score is really good and just it moves with the train and um, it got me in. I was super excited for the entire movie after the train scene, and I think the score was so much of it. But the score was at no point did I. I think the score was doing more of the work than the screenplay at times. I think the score, Roy Budd, awesome. Oh yeah, I think right. Guy Ritchie also loved the score. <laughs> well, and it's funny. I definitely, you know, because I, 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 I rewatched Lock, Stock, and Layer Cake, kind of in the midst of all of this stuff. And Layer Cake actually has way more similarities to Get Carter than I some. I think some of the Guy Ritchie stuff. Uh, and what I love is when they, and this is not a layer cake pod, but um, the Britt Eklund character is just Sienna Miller in layer cake. But what they do with Sienna Miller is they sort of, they, so there's there's the phone sex scene in layer cake as well, but they're actively making fun of it when she's rubbing it against the couch. She goes, I was rubbing it on my fanny. And it's like, but obviously she was not. <laughs> right. And she's not, in, she's not nearly in the outfit that she's describing. But then when she does get all dolled up and we think we're going to get this epic sex scene, they fucking knock Daniel Craig out and take him out. So when she walks out of the room, she's just by herself. So it takes the tropes, but kind of flips, flips them on their head, which is great because it makes it more, it, it's more fun that way. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, something else I like that I'm curious what you guys think. I liked. I can tell you right now, Brittany's not going to like it. I know. Brittany's going to get mad at me. <laughs> I am so sorry. No, I oh, love it. God. It makes me so it's happy. Great. It's great. No, I save, save here. Yeah. Save here. Disagreement is, makes really this way more interesting. Um, I didn't like this movie at all. Ugh. I love that. Um, Glenda's very unceremonious death really, I think, worked for just the way they all treated each other. And that if you blinked, you missed it. And if you weren't paying attention, you missed it. I loved it. And just Mike, they just cut to Michael Caine's face real quick, where I, I think the editor did a great job. Letting you, he completely no-sold it. He didn't give a shit. And he moved on, and the movie moved on with it. That was it. There wasn't some unnecessary callback to make sure we knew, or some nonsense. It just, he doesn't give a shit. It's his perspective. We don't care. I agree. Hey. I enjoyed oh! that too. Um, But <laughs> I liked it better in the book, ah. because... 
He does the same thing. He gets the drugs. He gives her an overdose. He puts her in the back seat. And then he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. And right before he goes to sleep and dreams about Audrey, he grabs her coat and puts it on his legs so he doesn't get cold. So it showcases even more so how much of an asshole Carter is. And, like, it's so bad. I remember reading it thinking, fuck you, Carter. Uh, But, yeah, no, I like the scene in the movie as well. I thought that that was one of the scenes that uh, actually translated pretty well from the book and showed him almost as brutal as in the book, but not quite because he is very brutal in the book. So I just want to make sure. I we So... We talk about Glenda or Margaret? Oh no, sorry, not Glenda. Sorry, Margaret. That okay. was my fault. That was my fault. Got it. But I but because I do there is a brutality to both of those in in very different ways. Glenda survives in the book. Sorry, there's too many oh, Yeah. There you she go. ends up he just shoves her out of a car and the police get her. Same oh. with Brumby. Fucking Brumby. Oh, I do I do and I and Brumby getting thrown over the thing was like, yeah, you you fucking die, man. Yeah, no. no. They needed to go up a couple levels for him. Get get right out of town <laughs> with this with this develop I also uh, I like the idea of thinking about in the those there's a whole movie that we don't see about those two developer guys who are like, I don't think we're going to get off fees on this one. <laughs> I don't think we're getting paid for this one. <laughs> That was so. I want to follow those guys rest of the day when they're I suing think... the Brumby estate while they're grieving the murder of their fa- father. I think that was possibly the second funniest thing in the movie to me was that line. <laughs> I think that was the funniest I... line. I think that guy was hysterical. Like he 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 was there. It just reminded me of um, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Like he practiced all day and he went all in. I thought the funniest part of the movie was when uh, Michael Caine grabs a stick and smacks the shit out of that guy and he falls in the pond. <laughs> I'm checking the integrity of the, the stick. I, I, I the, well, the yeah, test of the integrity of the stick was great, but I love his, like, I love that he's looking at the two guys, like, wrestling with a dog and a family coming up and, like, going, I, I, uh, fuck it, I'm just going to go. And then he just runs. <laughs> and he, like, he's, like, scurrying. It's the, oh, it was a great little run. Well, okay, yeah. so that leads to kind of my next thing. What do you guys think of his running form? Oh. So, now, I do know that they have, I think, something that, whether it's Michael Caine or Michael Caine is Jack Carter, um, I think he'd be a hell of a competitive um, uh, fast walker. Um, I think he'd own that. I think he, you know, he, he, he shortens his stride. I think he could be in the Olympics with that fast walking thing. Yeah, because he, uh, I think he his running he... form is not on point. Trash. Like, uh, I don't, and listen, he's running in a suit and shoes. Not saying it's easy, but you could have some form. What are you doing, Mike? Like, he was chasing people down. I was like, I don't think even old Thorpey, who didn't look healthy, (laughs) I don't think he's taking him down. Oh, old Thorpey goes into that really cool club where they're all just like dancing. I wanted to hang out in that club more. Uh, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a story about that club that we don't we don't know about. Uh, well, okay, oh, actually, book. in the book. <laughs> no, it's not in the book. It's oh. just, uh, Brittany's like in real history. life. <laughs> history in real life. Newcastle was known for its nightlife. Uh, like the North was kind of known for that. So someone would potentially go to London for like a night, and then they'd go and spend seven days in Newcastle, and they would go to the clubs in Newcastle. And actually, there were a ton of. Um, uh, like fruit machines or uh, 
God, I have it in my notes. Hold on. Let me find the uh, name because <laughs> notes, notes, notes. I'm going through the uh, 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 things that you use in Vegas. Oh, slot machines? Slot machine. That's it. That's I was like, fruit Sorry, machines. I was really like, late night, you get they're a banana from a machines. slot from a machine. <laughs> no, they're, they're called fruit machines or slot machines or ah. one-armed bandits. So um, because of the fact that people would come up to Newcastle, they had nothing else to do other than go to the dance clubs, I guess. Uh that was a huge thing in uh, in like the 1960s, uh, and actually the Cray brothers tried to get in on the Newcastle uh, slot machine thing up there, and they were basically <laughs> run out of town. <laughs> oh, very interesting. Brumby, Brumby so, ran them out. <laughs> yeah, I guess Brumby ran them out. Put just like you know water in their shoes and said, "Get the hell out of here! You're not from Newcastle." Um, so I can only, and I, I'm pretty sure I know this from the commentary and the research, but uh, the the big uh, change from the book to the movie and the ending is that, um, well, it's it's Carter's fate. Do you want to, Brittany? Do you want to elaborate a bit more on that? In the book, Carter's fate is kind of left up to the person who's reading it. So if you have a particularly nihilistic point of view, like me, you would think that Carter died because it literally ends with, and then it went to black. Um, where, uh, even though there are two other books with Carter, uh, <laughs> in, in the book, what happens is, uh, he lets Kinnear know I'm going after Eric, uh, and we actually don't see Kinnear get arrested. Yes. Like that's not involved. And he goes and he tries and they meet at the beach. Khan is following him. They try, he tries to force Eric to drink an entire bottle of whiskey but that's the point where he's left himself open and Eric stabs him. And so he's been stabbed. He drops the shotgun. Eric picks up the shotgun, points it at his head, and it backfires. And the shotgun is actually the uh, character, uh, if you will, that takes out Eric, not Jack. And I think that's kind wow. of nice. Because it's almost as if Frank is coming back from the grave to uh, seek his own revenge. And for me, that was incredibly poignant. And it was almost as if Jack was forgiven by his brother for all of the indiscretions that he had kind of showing that they were together still. But that's not what they decided to do in the movie. And honestly... I loved that ending scene where he forced him to drink an entire bottle of whiskey and then beat the shit out of him with a shotgun. It was like one of the only times that I was really enjoying myself during that movie. Uh, I, I, I got some qualms with the stage makeup. Uh, the uh, the old bullet wound to the head was... Uh, it was like cherry red. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't very good. I will say, I do, because I, 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 you know, I'm pretentious with my physical media and I, I have the 4k and it looked great it looked great the movie looked really good but like that red really pops like a bright red real red like a red that doesn't exist in nature and i was like this just looks <laughs> wacky Eric drinks like the... <laughs> sorry oh no go for it i was just gonna say it looked like the red you'd find in sleepy hollow uh <laughs> because everybody knows that red doesn't exist so it was just cartoony too much but I did like him beating the shit out of him. And I, when this scene started, I was like, oh, they're going to make us sit here and watch him take down this entire bottle. I was happy that Jack got impulsive and then just started beating him because that would have been, that could have dragged a bit like the, that chase 
that went on a few oh my god that a few steps too long yeah cheese was so bad i i mean it, it is it was just a lot of a lot of people not in the best shape running which and 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 actually they filmed the thing with ian hendry way early on uh because apparently he was a uh an alcoholic and yeah. um really yeah. his career was not as great as it could have been. Apparently, there was some onset tension between him and Michael Caine because uh, he was normally he thought, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the role of uh, of Carter there. Um, and uh, Mike Hodges tells this kind of funny story about wanting to rehearse that scene between them at the um, the uh, the horse horse uh, race track, and um, that Ian Hendry came into the room pretty pissed and drunk and, and like so. Uh, Hodges called off the rehearsal, and so the next day, like. He said, like the onset animosity kind of rolled over into the scene, which is great. I do, I do love the little um, specific thing that Kane does of taking off his glasses, because I gotta say, like, if I, like, if I'm the other guy, and 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 somebody takes off my glasses in that way, I'd be like, I, I would be pissing myself at that moment. Like, I just would be. That would be a thing. It oh, see, takes I a lot of balls to do that to somebody. No, oh no, no. I so I think me, like if somebody did it to me in like real life, I'd be like what the fuck you're doing but like there was the, the way that kane does it yeah there's just such a there was there was like a sense of like oh fuck okay i'm sorry whatever whatever you're mad about i'm sorry and i for, and just forgive me please it was dark it, it, there, there's a confidence that i you know and um an overpoweringness to it that was really putting out there it it, it should you know it feels very um animalistic um so uh, I think we've all we've all announced our um, our unsung heroes. Um, I, so I I want to ask a question, and I did not prep either of you for this. And this is maybe me wanting to not let go of of another thing that I was doing before we we decided to relaunch this. How do you feel about maybe quickly trying to establish what Michael Caine's Mount Rushmore is? Ooh. Ooh. I mean, I'm 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 always a fan of that. You know, I get it. <laughs> Because because he has he has quite the illustrious career, um, and I did I did try to watch a bunch of canes that I had either never seen or had only seen once a long time ago, and it, it's it, there's a lot there's a lot to pick from um, yeah, so um, I believe I so I I think Get Carter is one of them. Believe it or not, I think it makes the Mount Rushmore. And this is not by a personal preference, because I think that there are, I would pick four before that, but I think in no, terms I, of the popularity and, and the iconicness of it. I agree with that. I do, this might, this might not be, uh, it's not, I don't think this is how everybody feels, but I feel like his performance is pretty one note in this movie. And I think that's mostly because of the script. Sure. sure. I don't think there's any build and he doesn't have an arc, but his performance is great, so I'll agree with that. All right, so so who wants who wants to throw out another potential for 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 him? Oh, absolutely, uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah, Muppet I, I, Christmas Carol. Muppet Christmas Carol. I think it has to be on okay. there. I'm I am totally fine with that. I did watch because um, I've been in this play, but I'd never seen the film version of Noises Off, which I did watch. Um, it's so good. Which is good. Do you, actually, do you know? But do you? Know, I, I here's the thing. I'm real biased because of the role I played. But I think John Ritter is terrible. I think he's the worst part of the movie. Um, but do you know who, who I thought was great was Christopher Reeve. He's he's pretty good he's at it. He's really good. As he's Freddy. really funny. Oh, 
I played Belinda in that show. I love that show. I, w- I was Gary. I was the, oh, the John Ritter part. Uh, fair. Um, but I'm I'm biased. Okay, so I'm total. Okay, so I'm totally cool with a Muppet Christmas Carol. Like that's. I'm, I'm good with noises off too. You know, I think um. The Nolan Batman's, um, and if we have to pick one specifically, I think I'd go Dark Knight. But I think I don't think. I don't think we have so so I think if if it's a character that like like it's Han Solo right it's, it's do you know what I mean like it's yeah uh so I think I think Alfred yes okay so I'm on board with Alfred I'm on board with with Ebenezer Scrooge and Me I'm too. on board with Jack Carter so here's the thing do we put on one of his Academy Award winning performances because I did rewatch I I actually had never seen one of them but I did rewatch the Cider House Rules, and I did watch as much as it was kind of awkward to watch a Woody Allen movie. I did watch Hannah and Her Sisters because he did win for that. Um, so I'm wondering if, if it's if – it's, uh, is there any bump for one of those because he won an Oscar? I, I was going to say Cider House Rules. And not Me that too. I love that movie, but with the Oscars – like I would take Get Carter off before I would – you know. I think Cider House rules over that with the Oscar win. I think I don't really like that movie, but I think he's good in it. I think it's now, are you now, are you talking about yes. Cider House rules? Yeah. I there's the thing. I can't I can't I, I watched it yesterday, hadn't seen it since high school. And I was I was I was a little verklempt, I'm not gonna lie. Um I, I got that. a little emotional watching the Cider House rules yesterday at like noon and I was like, This is sad. <laughs> <laughs> but this he's is a sad yeah. movie. I, I'm and I think it's I think it belongs on his Mount Rushmore. So, yeah. so I and uh, is there anything blatant that we are leaving off that feels like, uh? I think he's really good in the Italian job personally, but um, I can understand that doesn't need to be on there. Now, but. so so do we do we bump get Carter for the Italian job? What's he more famous I for? That I, now I I'm not gonna lie I don't know. I think if you were to ask, well, here let me just let me just relegate people to where they're from. If it's you British were to people. Ask a, a Brit <laughs> that question, I think you might get get Carter, but Italian job was really no, not no, not so much. Not necessarily. It depends on the Brit you ask. I think well, if you were to ask my <laughs> husband, he would probably say the Prestige, and well, then maybe I, the Italian job. I meant between get Carter and um, the Italian job. Then he would absolutely say the Italian job because he was actually offended by get Carter. <laughs> and that's so, and that that's so funny too because uh, Ian. I, here's the thing: we were only going to do get Carter because Ian was a big fan of this movie. So yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know. I I what do we what do we want to do? Do we want to do Italian job or do we want to do get Carter? I want to do Italian job, but I will allow you two to pick because I'm super biased at this point. We both, we all know my opinions on this movie. You all knew my opinions when you saw me on the video because I am, I don't know how to have a neutral face. That's all right. I think, all right, so last night, me and a bunch of the BPC guys, we went and we did movie trivia. And I said, hey, has anybody seen Get Carter? Because, I, you know, I had some things I wanted to bounce off people. So I was with Kieran, Grant, Chris, Steve, people who have seen an absurd amount of movies with high movie IQs. None of them had seen it. So I think based off that, and I'm sure if I text all of them right now, somebody has seen the Italian job. If nothing else from the remake, they went back to it. I 
think the Italian job for that. I think that's sound. I, I'm okay with that. I think Italian job, Alfred, Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> and the Cider House rules. Look at that. That's Mount Rushmore right there. I think that's a great Mount Rushmore. And a, we just we we just assembled it. Um, it's teamwork. So it, anything anything glaring that we need to unearth before we we get kind of towards the the back end of of the episode here. Um, I have one thing I'd like to talk about. Let's big do it. Surprise! Big surprise. This is about representation within the decades of 1001 movies you must see before you die. Sure. No fucking kidding, huh? (laughs) So between 1970 and 1979, there are about 150 pages worth of movies. Uh, That's not counting movies that are just like full screen, like a full print of a still. Yeah. Begins with Tristana, it ends with Kramer versus Kramer. Between 2004, I just picked a random year, and 2014, I gave him an extra year just in case, there are 26 pages. 26. Brittany, you're coming to, yes, yes, I have an ally on this, yes. So it begins with uh, Der Untergang. Uh, German film, and then it ends with The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is, there's like two movies from 2014. So are we to believe that there are less, there are less movies between 2004 and 2014 that should be included, and, and we should just continue to include everything from the decade of the 70s? It seems incredibly heavy handed, and it seems incredibly sentimental. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Nostalgia uh, kills. It, it, it is nostalgia. And I, I actually have a big issue with that because there are some incredible films that have been taken out of the book because new films have come out and they thought, oh, oh, we can't take out a movie like Get Carter, but we absolutely have to take out The Favorite. So I, I actually have a pretty big issue with that within this book. I think this is a... a yeah, this this book kind of needs an overhaul, especially in the 70s. And I think a lot of it is because some of the newer years get feel replaceable. It makes it makes people, you know, think, oh, well, they must not be as valuable as those that have lasted kind of the test of time just because of, you know, nostalgia. Nostalgia can be dangerous. It, it clouds objectivity. Yeah. Well, and I also have to ask, so if something is the beginning of a genre, let's say, is it really the best representation of the genre? Probably not. So maybe we need to reconsider the movies that are in here because that made me very angry. Well, <laughs> and that, that is the beauty of what we're doing because yep. I, I, I absolutely agree. And it's like, because, you know, I do think it's funny sometimes. And, and on the flip side, like, you know, the they'll put Avengers Endgame in the book the first year after it comes out. I'm like, yeah, let's maybe slow our roll with that. But let's let um, it breathe. <laughs> I, but I do, but I, I agree. It's like to think that, oh, well, and I, I go to one that I commonly go to that's, that was in the book and not, but like, oh, wow, did, did Whiplash really stand the test of time? I don't know. Let's take it out. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? What are that we doing? Like, that's that a, doesn't that's stand absurd. the test of time, but Get Carter does? Like, I, Right. You yeah. you show those two movies back to back to people and see which one they're talking about the next day. Yep. Ten out of ten times they're talking about Whiplash. 
so so I I I think that's and, and well before I don't want to I was I was about to do like a wrap up thing but I don't want to Joey is there anything left unsaid that you want to throw out there? I went into this so high and just got I, I just felt like I was um like Homer Simpson falling down the gorge like it just like hit, <laughs> hit, hit, hit. and I was just like and I was like oh I see what you. you no, that didn't work. Oh, well, why didn't you commit to that? Like, no, no. And yeah, and um and I was sitting there and I'm and then I'm reading all these reviews and I was just like, you, you guys are you're missing some things, reviewers, and maybe this is why you shouldn't be and trust IMDb reviewers. It's so true. I couldn't find a bad review for this movie other than the person that said that it aged like milk. And... Which I love. Um, yeah, I, I think I do. I, I do think we have done a great deal of justice to this movie by pointing out flaws without beating it up, pointing out the good and you know the issues that arise when you do a poor transition from book to film. I mean, we haven't even talked about you know we really haven't talked about Jack Carter walking out buck naked just with a shotgun even. I would be so pissed if that parade was coming by my house at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> How dare that parade? I did. I will say as as an actor and acting teacher, I did like seeing re- remembering an era when you didn't have to be fucking ripped to have your shirt off. Me too. I, oh, I was that... like, ah, good on you. Good I on you. I think that's in my notes. I was like, thank God he looks like a normal person. I do. It's just like. Somebody, I th- this is gonna be old by the time I say this, but like I, I saw somebody on Twitter post a bunch of pictures from Jonathan Major's GQ shoot or something, and he's got like seventy five abs, and it's like that's great. I'm not, I'm not like saying that like that's bad, but it's like that doesn't, that doesn't. Actors shouldn't have to do that. He hasn't drank water in a week, <laughs> right? Well, he's in, you know, he's in the, he's in the upcoming Creed. He's in. Pretty big in all the MCU stuff. He hates water, so you know. <laughs> Fucking but, you know, water. But listen, I mean, if, Mike, if, if Michael Caine was Mauricio Whistlewas, he would needed some abs to make that scene pay off. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so I think we're there. I, I'm going to well, ask. Oh no! Have we done our favorite shots and our favorite scenes? Um, I well, I guess I I didn't know I didn't know if we really had any. I I did mention. I do. Um, I I think my favorite. My favorite shot, I do think, is the shot of Newcastle with the row houses and the smokestack. If I'm picking a scene, I do like the the hallway with the stairs and she's in the bath and he's coming up. I think those are probably my two. The poker scene's my favorite. That That's a close second for me. My favorite shot is the opening with the fishbowl because it it gives the perspective that we're on the outside looking in. And I thought, oh, we're going to get this more throughout the film. And we didn't. So um, it was the one time that we got that. uh, And I was very excited about it. And my favorite scene, as much as I would like to say that it's the ending where he beats the shit out of him with a shotgun, (laughs) it's actually when um, Carter smacks the shit out of Grumby because they use such a peculiar sound 
sound bite for when he slaps him. It's almost as if he's getting shot in the face. <laughs> Is that the one where he where he like comes into the house after this after Brumby's daughter is having a party? Yeah, yeah. Actually, during that scene, I got really worried because uh, he throws the kid into the pond, and I thought, oh my god, he's gonna drown. And then I realized not everybody has a six foot pond like my father in law had, so he's probably gonna be fine. But my father in law literally dug a six foot pond in their backyard wow. because he wanted it to be six feet good for him that's it hey, if you yeah. have space yeah, you know i want a, extra i want a moat that's what i want oh, i want a fair moat. fair oh, that would be awesome but yeah want, my favorite be was when he beat the shit out project, of grumpy i'm gonna make a moat i know i that, that that's 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 a funny scene um I, he also calls his daughter a little bitch and i'm like dude that's your daughter calm down buddy right? it's a party bro freaking relax if i <laughs> I, I have reached the end of my dadhood the second I ever call my child a bitch and mean it. Because there are times where I'll, I'll Melissa and I will be around the corner and Stella will say something and be like, Stella's being a little bitch right now. But I don't mean it in the way that, like, she's a bitch. Because that would be just like, but hey, but my kids can be bitches. So, like, there's that too. But I would never dad, call them that. <laughs> my dad told me my shelf life had expired and it was time to fly away from home because he was so annoyed with me being at the home He's a good man. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to say that we're at question time. Woo. So, Brittany, do you think that Get Carter should be in the book of a thousand and one movies that you must see before you die? I am going to, surprisingly, um, go with no. Okay. And I have to say that it, just because a movie is considered the first of its genre doesn't mean that it should be held on a pedestal. And I found the script to be convoluted. I found the filmmaking to be inconsistent and the performances to be subpar compared to Michael Caine. And I can, ex I can appreciate the bleak setting and the revenge story, but when it comes to a revenge film, I really need some type of palpable motivation to keep it going and I didn't feel anything while I was watching Get Carter. So it's coming out. What are you replacing it with? So I thought about this, watched a couple movies and I'm actually going to replace it with Shane Meadows' Dead Man's Shoes from 2004. If you haven't seen the film, this is a one one sentence synopsis after returning from military service richard finds the gang who tortured his younger brother anthony this is a very english film that is was also filmed on location and it does have very similar beats to get carter but where get carter fails i feel like dead man's shoes succeeds there is a sense of dread that's palpable throughout the film the escalation of richard's actions are expected but they still make the the viewer uncomfortable and they actually set up a relationship between the brothers that feels real and also incredibly com like complicated. Petty Constantine gives an incredible performance as Richard, and I would far prefer to watch this English revenge film over Get Carter. Personally, I watched it at 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, and, uh, well, that's when my husband's not home. He goes to work very early, and he's... He, he he was like, I don't need to watch this movie again. So I watched it by myself. And it it hit just as hard as it did the first time I watched it. Are there parts of it that haven't aged as well? Absolutely. But I think the core of the story really 
hits home, and I think it's a better representation of this style of film. Joey, have you seen Dead Man's Shoes? I have not. I, I've heard of this, and I, I know I've, I've not seen it either, but it's it's a movie that I am familiar with, um, so I'll definitely have to to put that up higher on the old watch list. So Dead Man's Shoes replacing Get Carter is Brittany's opinion there. Joey, do you think that Get Carter should be in the book of A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die? So I think that... Brittany telling us no built more tension than 90% of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So I'm going to say no. Okay. All right. So what are you replacing Get Carter with? So I had a movie, but then I looked back at the, you know, the the list that you, you sent us about all the recommendations you did. It's been in there. It's a movie I know you like. It was on your top 10. Um, but I, it was already recommended in the past, so um, but we did take about talk about it earlier, and I would rec- replace it with uh, 2000s Snatch, Guy Ritchie. I think if we're looking at British gangster movies, I think that's just far superior. And you know, I've wa- gone back to that movie. I remember the first time I saw it 20 years ago, and the amount of times I've gone back to it and talked about it and recommended it to people and. Um, I think it's just an easy movie to buy into and fully get engulfed in that world. Now, Brittany, I have to imagine that you have seen Snatch. Yes. So and I think this is one of those like when you came to it moments. But are, are you are you a, a Snatch person or a Lockstock person? Because I think it really de- really depends on when you saw it. So I saw Snatch first. So I do think I am a Snatch person more than a Lockstock. Um but I, I do really enjoy Lockstock as well. It I, I saw Snatch when I was like 17. It was my first foyer into this genre. So I think it holds a really special place in my heart. I know. I, I think I'm a Snatch person as well over Lockstock. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm Snatch over. Um, I've gone, I've thought about it in the, you know, throughout. I always kind of watch them together. Um, yeah. But I, I always go Snatch, Snatch first. They do kind of feel like a, a, a pair, a duet, if you would say. Uh, it, <laughs> For me, at least, absolutely. To them together, yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely, it was funny, and I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned the, the, the way that the book slants towards the classics and the nostalgia, because I, I felt that way about Shaft a lot, is that I get that it's iconic. It's an iconic character, and um, it, it's, it's very nostalgic, but... I also think it's subpar performances. I think the storytelling is mediocre and it does, it is kind of pieced together. And I was really, really proud of my replacement for that. I replaced it with Friday, um, which was another film with an all black cast, which is with a, by a, a black filmmaker. And yeah, and is, has to the test of time. I mean, it Friday is now a classic and it's not in the book. And I, so, so my answer begrudgingly is no, I don't, I don't think that get Carter should be in the book. Um, and I, I have a couple of options here. I'm really glad somebody went with Snatch because I feel like that's close. Um, but the revenge angle of this too with Dead Man's Shoes is also great. I'm really, really tempted to go, which is which is so counterintuitive to the argument that we just had with the Italian job. Um, uh, but, um, and like, I part of me wants to say layer cake because it's like, it's just like get Carter, but 
but better. Um, uh, but I, 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 I feel like I'm going to be hypocritical here, but I, I am going to go with the, the 1960s Michael Caine-led Italian job as my replacement. That- that was my first choice. I thought I was going to do that movie too. So, which um, I I hadn't seen prior to kind of gearing up for the episode, and uh, you know the and the plot. This plot is thin. It's really just like we need to steal from the Italians, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, but the execution of the the big kind of scam and the end of this movie is so choice. Joey, have you seen the original Italian Job? Yeah, when the remake came out, I, I liked it a lot, and then my dad made me watch the original. He said it was a lot better. So the seen, the yeah. ending of it makes me feel so so great at the end of that. It's just such a such a funny silly movie. Um, so there we go. So so across the board, sorry Michael Caine, um, but Get Carter, we believe, should not be in the book. Um, but of course, as always, we want to know what you think of Get Carter. So uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can email us at 1001by1one at gmail.com. Uh, you can listen to us in all the places where podcasts are playable and probably some that we don't know about yet. I don't know. That's, the internet is a, is a spooky, <laughs> weird place where shit just goes and it's like, hey, that, it happens there. I hope there's um, some weird platform people are listening to us on. That'd be f- I, wonderful. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, best. And uh, Brittany, do you want to tell us maybe just a little a little bit about uh, what we're going to be talking about next time? Absolutely. Uh, so next episode, friends, I will be running the show as we talk about the Korean vengeance film by uh, Park Chan-wook called Old Boy, the second of three in the Vengeance trilogy. And if you haven't seen it yet, you are in for a wild ride. Uh, to say the least. Yes. <laughs> That's the safest way I've ever heard that. It, wild ride. Oh, man. Uh, wild ride is the, the best thing I could think of. Have I read the manga? Yes, I did. So I can't wait to discuss that. Well, perfect. So, so yes, we have, we have Park Chan-wook's Old Boy coming up next. Uh, but until then, uh, I am Adam. I'm Britt. I'm Joey. And we will see you next week.